Hi everybody, this is episode six of season three. I'm Roy McLaughlin and I'm delighted to have Lee Robertson from Octo Members with me. Hi Lee. Hi Roy. Today we're going to focus on um, wealth management and protection in particular and the intricacies of, of both those worlds. This is the Practical Protection Podcast. So Lee, how are you? Uh, listen, I'm very well indeed, thank you, d- despite everything that's going on. Yes, yes, strange times, aren't they? So uh, let's start off with uh, a bit of background uh, because I'm conscious that most of our listeners on the protection side, uh, they would have heard of your reputation, I'm sure, but won't, won't, won't know you completely. Do you want to give us a sort of quick potted history of, of who you are firstly, and, and then we'll go on to Octo? Yeah, sure. Um, Lee Robertson, Chief Executive of Octo. I was a practicing advisor in one shape or another for 30 years. Um, a couple of years ago, 2018, I sold my majority shareholding in the practice that I founded to the people who worked there, my co-workers, um, because I had an itch I wanted to scratch, which was to set up Octo, amongst amongst lots of other reasons, of course, but uh, that, that was one of them. Excellent. And what sort of people belong to Octo? Uh, it's a broad cross-section, almost 3,000 members of financial services professionals covering wealth management, protection, mortgages, um, fund sales, fund management, compliance, no members of the public, uh, marketing people, but no members of the public, no press unless they're working with us and um, no regulators. So it's it's retail financial services practitioners in whichever discipline they sit within financial services. What, what would you say your first experiences of protection were all those, uh, all those years ago? Um, well, funnily enough, there, there's two first um, there's two first. One, one is professionally and one is personally. Um, professionally, I came into financial services like many of my generation, almost by accident. I came in um, having left the armed forces. I, I was going to join a government department, but they were mucking around. There was the usual options for change, which is one more misnomer for cutting back. And my start date kept getting delayed, so I needed to earn in the meantime. So I went into direct sales with Ally Dunbar. Um, you know, great name, I thought. Uh, what did I know? I, actually, funnily enough, the training was fantastic. If it was mainly sales training more than anything. But they were very heavily into protection. Um, and I, I think... Um, the founders of Allied Dunbar were also the founders of, of um, the other one. I'm trying to think of their name, but, but it was very much about critical illness. It was South African. It was Mark Weinberg. So p- critical illness was one of their key drivers uh, in terms of, of product set. So that would have been professionally. On a personal basis, my uncle Alistair up in Scotland was a, a cooperative insurance um, industrial branch salesman. So I kind of grew up with insurance in the family, if that makes sense. And, and we needed it. My my father, um, who was in the building trade, had an industrial accident. If it hadn't been for the insurance, I think we might not have fared as well as we did. Ah, oh, right. So something happened to you at quite an early age, which actually brought insurance right home. Uh, which sort of comes on to, you know, the subject we talk to a lot of our people about, which is how important do you think these real life studies are actually, you know, real life anecdotes in, t- in terms of people having belief in the product? Uh, I, you know, you can only you can only go from from personal experience. Um, I, I think it's incredibly important. You know, I, um, I come from a military background. People sadly die. Um, also, in your formative years, to be around 
something that's almost, you know, it's intangible, it's an insurance, you don't know what it is, but the, the fact that it helped the family so deeply and profoundly at that time is really important. And of course, as you progress through a professional career, and despite being, you know, heading a practice where I, um, you know, we had discretionary commissions, we were seen as quite investment-led, although we never were, we were financial planning-led, but we always, always made sure that we were offering protection as part of the product set, so you, are, or the service that we offered, so it was incredibly um, important, and we saw really deep and profound value in in what happened and how it helped some of our clients, so I think, long answer to a very short question, Roy, I, I, think it, I think personal experience is really important, personal stories, backstories are very, very important, but also stories of clients, which is perhaps the wrong way to describe it, to, but to see the way it's helped at the most difficult times is, is both humbling and uplifting. Yeah. Interesting you mentioned Ella Dunbar. I mean, there's, uh, you know, much maligned by some, but actually to, to give them, uh, you know, the credence, a lot of people that started off there uh, were very well uh, educated in terms of um, protection because the training there I hear was second to none and that's very true of a lot of direct sales forces 80s 90s early noughties do you worry that part of the industry's problem with protection is that there isn't that training so much anymore because those sort of companies aren't around yeah I, I think so it's, it's a really good question I mean I was thinking about before I came on before I came on with you I was thinking about you know, we were talking backstory and history a second ago. I was thinking, you know, when I grew up, there was Scottish widows and there was Standard Life and there was Life, Life Association of Scotland and Scottish Amicable. And so I grew up in a country that obviously believed in insurance and probably because all these companies grew out of military campaigns and, and that kind of stuff to look after soldiers. Um, but what it did was, I think it gave, it gave the sector or the industries it was then masses and masses of experience and resource to draw upon. I mean, we there used to be technical help desks, there was lots of training, there was lots of um, getting together to talk about these issues in a way that only really seems to happen now in, in, about investments and funds. And, and, and I think platforms for me, you know, investment platforms were one of the key moments in wealth management or independent financial advice or financial planning in terms of being able to talk to clients and give them real-time information, et cetera, et cetera. But, but what I think one of the things that also happened at the same time was advisors, or not all advisors, of course, but many advisors got incredibly interested in the investment bit and less interested in the other bit. So I, I think... Um, it is a shame that so many of these life calls have gone, have merged, have cut back on the tech desks. So the message perhaps isn't getting out as strongly as it did when I came in, in my formative years. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, a great example of that, I don't know if you agree, is inheritance tax planning. I remember going to endless courses on inheritance tax, uh, mainly run by some fabulous insurance companies. And that sort of disappeared a, a, a little bit, uh, you know, away. Yet one could argue that inheritance tax planning now is as important as it ever, ever has been. Yeah, listen, I would, I would, I would at least as important. The nation has, whilst it may not feel like it at the moment, but because of property values and um, et cetera, et cetera, the nation has become, or certainly lots of the clients that are served by advisors have become much wealthier. You know, they've seen property inflation at rates that, that are unbelievable, actually. So money is passing down through generations. Um, there are many successful businesses, all sorts of succession planning going on. And so I, I agree with you. I think inheritance tax is, is really important now in a way that perhaps it, it, it wouldn't have been before. Successive budgets mean more and more people get caught by it. So the planning around it has got to be fundamentally important. 
And, you know, for, for many of our listeners that maybe haven't uh, gone into inheritance tax planning in that, in that way before, is there an image sometimes that inheritance tax planning is all about wealth management planning and not so much about protection, whereas you and I know that protection could be an integral solution? Is that a fair challenge? Um, I, I think, you know, often we end up talking in generalizations, but I think it is a fair challenge. I, I think... Um, one of the things that struck me coming from a working class background Scottish family is we tended not to talk about money. Whereas when I became a financial advisor and then laterally a planner, what I realized was people with money talk about money a lot. It, and interestingly, those with money talk a lot about succession planning and they're willing to address these issues. And I remember being really quite horrified sometimes when people say to me in meetings, oh yes, but granny's going to die shortly and she's going to leave me X. To me, I was like, what? How do you even know that? You're planning You're planning your granny's death almost. And that was the way I addressed it in my own mind. But of course, what that wasn't, it just meant they'd had family discussions and they knew what was coming and they'd done lots and lots of proper planning. So going back to the, to, to the point, I, I think it is fundamentally important. People aren't addressing it as well as they might do. Often the solutions that you see can be quite engineered using investments and different sorts of you know, share portfolios and, and aim portfolios and all sorts of bits and pieces. Um, whereas I think good old fashioned you know, gift into Vivos, and there, there lots, there's still a lot of, a lot of um, use and value in those types of policies for a certain outcome in a way that investments sometimes don't give you. Now, we're going to come on to the attitude of wealth, the wealth manager industry to protection shortly. But on this particular subject, do you perceive, do you sense that there's an element of some of the wealth managers thinking, yes, I know that protection is a solution to part of IHT. And you mentioned gifting to VVOS and obviously the traditional joint life second death policies. But I think that, uh, you know, getting this insurance is harder for these people because they tend to be older. Therefore, I'm not going to do it. And that may be the problem is in our mind rather than looking into it. As in, is there a barrier to this advice because there is a perception that getting protection is hard? I think so. Um, uh, you know, there are less providers now. So, so there's a good starting point. As we said, there are less providers. It is less readily available, perhaps, in the advisor's mind. You, you, because of your experience, might argue differently. There is still available. But I also think there's a familiarity thing. When I was basically came into the sector, we never didn't discuss protection. It was part of what we did with our clients. In fact, I am on record as saying, I think it was the first building blocks of a financial plan, long before we really spoke about financial plans. But as people did less of it, as companies re retreated from offering it, it begins to drop out of the mindset. Now, you know, apologies for generalizations here, but you know, whenever you talk about a subject, you end up straying into them. So I think as we talk talk about it less and we do it less and we look for other solutions and other and the providers retreat a bit, you become less familiar with it. And this is a rubbish analogy, but it's a bit like if the hardest bit about going to the gym is actually putting your kit on. Once you're there, you enjoy it. And it's a bit the same, I think, and apologies for the analogy, but I think it's a bit the same with protection. Unless you put the kit on and start doing the job, it's just too easy not to do it. So I think as people retreated from it, it became easy not to talk about, not to do it. The skill set, and in protection, the skill set is really high. Your skill set drops off. 
you you know less people, you know less underwriters, whatever you know. You there are less technical help desks to pick their brains, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's easy just not to talk about it. And let's let's talk about the sexy stuff, which is your portfolio. Yeah. No, I, I think that analogy not only is a brilliant one, but I think it's spot on because it's something that I hear quite a lot. Um, I mean. The elephant in the room here, I guess, is, and, and you've alluded to this, a lot of wealth managers started off doing quite a lot of protection, which is always strange. And they always tell you that within minutes, but have sort of almost, yeah, have, have decided not to put that gym kit in and gone off and done other things. So it's not that they haven't experienced protection, but yeah, maybe they've become rusty or, or you know, or, or there are other reasons as well. But I, I guess one of the central questions to someone like yourself with the experience that you've got is, do you think that, there's an element of, of people with us almost protection is something that's, I don't know, not seen as, as, as integral. And there's almost, uh, you know, that two posture protect attitude with some. Listen, I, I don't doubt for a second there are some that are two posture protect, you know, and if, if you look particularly up up the, the scale, um, you can definitely see it. You know, I, I used to regularly pick up clients from private banks and no one had spoken to them about the protection. No one, and yet they had, they had debt, high debt levels as well as high asset levels. Um, they they had family, um, you know, obligations if something happened to them, and nobody had ever spoken to them about the most basic thing, which was to transfer the risk from them personally to an insurance company of some catastrophe happening. So I think uh, I've got first-hand experience of that. Of, of there are definitely organisations out there that feel they're too posh to protect. What the reasons for? We've covered some of them. I think there are other reasons, but I, th- I think I think definitely too posh to protect is, is a phrase that I use, and and I, I it, it it's got a grip of certain organisations, and it's it's a crying shame actually. Now, um, whilst one might understand that attitude, and and uh, you know, and we we can question it all day long, I think hopefully one of the solutions uh, has been the advert of um, signposting that's come along, uh, and obviously that could have some quite revolutionary, uh, you know, results. You know, if that is the attitude out there, um, signposting always been here you and I have been signposting for years uh, that we didn't call it signposting is is irrelevant um, but it's it suddenly is the flavor of the day signposting in particular with protection in mind do you think that could change the view of some of those people in the wealth management side as in they don't want to do it themselves but they should do it and then they go and find someone that could do it on their behalf I, listen I, I think so if, if you're not going to do it yourself you've identified hopefully through your through your time spent with your client, there's a, there's a requirement for protection, but you you have neither the time or the confidence or the skill anymore to do it, then I think you're obligated to, you know, to, to go and find someone to help you. And, and signposting is just, as, as you say, we didn't used to call it signposting, but it's it's a great way of, of, of working collaboratively with an advisor who specializes in that area in a way that you no longer do to make sure your client gets the right outcomes. And, and outcomes is one of those words the regulator likes it, but actually it fits here. A good outcome for a client is to be well insured and to transfer risk from them personally and from their family or their business or whatever it is from themselves to an insurance company for a relatively modest cost. If they can't do it themselves, I think they're obligated to find somebody to help them. Yeah. It's, it's strange, isn't it? Uh, since the IDs, the IDD has come in and this, uh, you know, this requirement to do your 15 hours, I'm sometimes sensing that some people are saying, I've done a course, I've done my 15 hours, now let's get on with my lives. Um, is that a little bit of a wrong attitude by some, would you say? Yeah, yeah. I, I've not noticed that as much, but you're, you're perhaps closer to it. 
I think it is wrong. Uh, I think to be a good financial planner in whichever part of the sector you are in requires more than 15 hours. It requires lifelong learning. Um, and the very best people that we know, yourselves included, um, do this all day, every day. You know, not just formal training to, to take some CPD thing to keep your qualification up and get your statement of professional standing next year. It's because you, you understand that it takes a huge amount of effort to get it right and things change all the time. I guess the other thing about signposting is that, um, and, and this does need more publicity, signposting works both ways, of course. It's not just uh, potentially the wealth manager giving a protection advisor business. It can be the other way around as well. So what, what would you say to protection advisors, which will be a, a vast amount of people listening to this uh, currently, uh, are the reasons for maybe thinking about referring business the other way as well? And I'm just thinking about captive audiences. Yeah, listen, the very best relationships work as a two-way basis, don't they? Mutually beneficial, where you can you can work collaboratively to get the right outcomes. I've used that word again. I almost told myself I wouldn't, but, you know, it just fits here. So I think the very best outcomes come from working collaboratively. And just as I've described, some financial planners or wealth managers should be looking to collaborate with people with protection, just the same, protection advisors may spot opportunities where people at the most basic level, just using a very simple example, aren't using the right side of and shouldn't be, et cetera. They should be looking to collaborate with people that collaborate with them to help address those issues and get better outcomes on that side. That way you form a, a proper business, mutually beneficial relationship where you like referring to each other, you build confidence in each other, and you understand that you've both got the client's interests at heart. And would you also presumably throw the mortgage market into that equation as well? Absolutely. We we used to, in my practice, we did mortgages for a while, but we realized it was taking a lot of time. It took a lot of specialist experience. It, it took a lot of, interestingly, maybe it's changed a bit now, but it also took a lot of personal relationship with lenders. Lots, of, and, and I think this is the same in protection. Sometimes it's 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 as much who you know as what you know at times. You just need a little bit of help to get things over the line or to explain a particular a particular medical condition or something. And I think that's the same on mortgages. So in our practice, we stopped doing mortgages and we had, in effect, we were signposting our mortgages to mortgage yeah. specialists. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. And signposting for, for those of us that have been around a slightly longer has been around that. I'll also throw private medical insurance into that as well, of course. Yeah, yeah um, um, Let's talk a little bit about uh, more current issues. Um, COVID, I mean, it's, it's completely changed the protection world, as I'm sure you're aware. What's it done to the wealth management world, would, would you say? What's it done to the wealth management world? I think it's, um, there's lots of things, and, and actually with Octo, we can see a lot of it because we talk about it all the time. But what, what it has done is it's, it's definitely accelerated the, um, the adoption of technology. You know, I, I used to have this discussion in my practice all the time with the financial planners about why were we dragging our clients up to town? We were based in the, in the city of London. Why we were dragging our clients up to town for a nice cup of tea and a biscuit to tell them things were largely the same as it was last year. And so we were taking three hours out of that day or whatever it was. Data, blah, blah, blah. Um, and you always used to push back, well, you know, they want to see us. You know, they don't want to do Skype or Zoom or whatever. So, so that's been the big change, that the adoption of technology has definitely moved forward. I think... Retail advice across wealth management, financial planning, mortgages, um, protection are to be congratulated though on their the way they've dealt with this crisis. I think they have adopted and adapted really quickly 
um, new ways of working, new flexibilities, new ways of communication, and they're to be commended. I, I think they've done it in a way that many of the other professions haven't. So they're definitely to be commended. So I think what's happened, what's changed? I think working hours have changed. I think places of work have very obviously changed. Uh, and I'm not even sure it will ever go back to the way it was. I think there's more flexibility in the workplace, which financial planning or retail financial services, because your audience is broader. Um, you know, I, I think they, they have an opportunity to work flexibly in a way that perhaps other professions don't. Um, you know, doctors sooner or later will have to see patients, etc. So I think those are the big changes I've seen. The introduction of technology, of new ways of working, of new places of, of work, however that plays out, and particularly in flexible working, which suits, I think, the financial planning and protection and mortgage community in a way that it may not suit other professions. Yeah, now, there's a very interesting and very topical subject at the moment, uh, particularly over the last few days of, of, of diversity issues, which are quite rightly coming to the fore. Uh, you and I have been in this industry, uh, I, I, I suspect, an equal amount of time and, and uh, witnessed on numerous occasions the fact that there is uh, an industry totally unrepresented by females. Uh, you know, I mean, you go you go to conferences and, and you go to to talks, and, and you just see advisors around you, and, and, and the lack of females has, has always been a, a worrying issue. Do you think, therefore, the the flexibility that you've just alluded to, which is something that I think has been sort of thrown at me as as a reason for sometimes it being difficult being an advisor in particular, do you think the flexibility, let's say, opportunities that come out of this crisis? Will are consummate with getting more female advisors involved? I hope so. I, I mean, I really hope so. Uh, you're right, we've probably been in the, in the sector about the same amount of time. We used to go to these conferences, and if you saw, if you saw a woman in the audience, it was a bit of a rarity. You know, it really was. Uh, and it, it's great that we've moved on from, from there. I think in my practice, we, we had a policy. We used to do things like, not because not because it was forced on us, but because we thought it was good business practice. It's good business practice to have a happy, motivated team. Um, I like women in, in business, but I think they give a very different perspective to men. I Interestingly, despite being ex-military and ex-rugby player, um, I'm, not massive, I'm not a massive fan of conflict. I try to avoid arguments wherever possible by being collaborative. Was so often I could be quite, you know, I kind of wander around a point hoping somebody will get what I'm trying to say. Having women in a business, I find another generalization, they could be much more direct. And, and I used to like having women around me that way. I think they think differently, they act differently, they're less inclined to, the, you know, men go from zero to 60 really quickly. There's all sorts of stuff in there. But we used to do things. And, and I'm conscious I'm talking a lot here, but we, we did things because it was good business, not because we felt there was some imperative to do it. You know, we used to do things like, we used to shut between Christmas and New Year, but we didn't deduct that from, from um, staff holidays because it's a, a really important family time. If kids had sports days, we, we used to give that day off or half day off if that's what they wanted. Um, and, and we didn't deduct that from holiday. If, if there were children and we, we had a, 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 I had a team member who, one of our children had a medical issue, if there were doctor's appointments, hospital appointments, that was never deducted from salary. So, or, or from, from leave or any of that kind of stuff, because it was just the way I felt I wanted my practice to run, which was pastoral and collaborative and flexible. Now, move that forward to answer your question. And I give, I give a big shout out to many of the inspirational women I've met along the way who were better financial planners than I were, 
was was who were um, on the beach before I was with the IFP and all the other stuff. And I'm, I'm thinking Julie Lord and and Marty Nautram and um, and others, Becky Taylor. You know, real inspirations. You know, they 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 played off the men's tee using another sports analogy, and and didn't ask for fear or favour and really demonstrated what they had to do. But if we can have a more open, generous, flexible workplace as a result of COVID, which encourages more women to enter financial services, to reach for the stars and to become practice leaders, of which many of them are now already, then that's surely got to be a good thing for our sector. Surely. You know, it's just good business. Yeah. I mean, the, the great news on the protection side of, of the fence is that this is happening more and more. Recently, Open Work have, have announced that 36%, I believe, of, of their new intake are, are, are female advisors. So we are going in the right direction. There's a long way to go. Um, and of course, diversity is across lots of different mediums. But uh, I think, uh, you know, the flexibility uh, angle, which is something that's always been thrown at, at the industry in the past, uh, will change because of COVID, as we said. So, you know, hopefully there is some some massive, well, well-timed progression there as well. So, uh, um, so that, that's good. I, I, um, I, I do have a caveat, Roy, though. Yep. Um, and my caveat... We, we, like, we like a caveat. If we want... If we want more more people to come into financial service from diverse backgrounds, yeah, be they women or from the BAME community or you know LGBTQ plus or whatever, we've got to stop this nonsense that I see all too often on social media and below the lines on our trade websites, where someone has an opinion, which is a personally held opinion, and then they get beasted for it just for having an opinion. Yeah. Now. Maybe I'm just seeing it through sort of white male eyes, but largely it's women getting the beating. Yeah. They have an opinion or they have a viewpoint, which they're perfectly entitled to have. It's based on their personal and professional experiences. What they don't need to do is have people that look like us. I'm not saying we would. In fact, you and I know we wouldn't. But people who look like us immediately jump on them and give them some kind of digital kicking just for having a personal professional point of view. No wonder at times women despair of our sector. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, no, a, it's a whole no, mine. I get quite angry about it. I, I totally concur. Uh, there's no patting, patting our industry on the back yet. There's a very, very long way to go. Um, let's go back slightly to the wealth management side of things. Uh, Talk to any wealth manager, and within seconds, uh, they will all mention cash flow models. Okay, it's just something that rolls off the tongue, as, as you well know, and there's some fantastic models out there. Um, I don't know if you agree, but uh, the cash flow models that I've seen, as excellent as they are on the wealth side, are still seemingly lacking something on the protection side. And what seems strange to me here is that we're talking often about things going wrong. So uh, for, for our listeners, uh, we will use something called a black swan event, which is used to uh, to basically model a stock market crash when you're doing a cash flow model. Um, and yet something going wrong could easily be someone becoming ill. Um, do you think cash flow models, whilst they claim there's some protection in them, are still need developing? Um, and uh, I'll throw in a, a sub question, which is, is that also an attitude that needs developing so that things go wrong in people's lives and not just stock market crashes? 
Yeah. So I, the short answers are yes and yes. I think they do need more developing. Um, when used well, cash flow modeling or lifestyle financial planning, you know, however people use whichever nomenclature they use, is incredibly powerful with a client. But it's got to it's got to take into things more than accumulation, decumulation, um, investment growth, investment return, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's got to take in the potential, and the very best advisors do this. You know, Prestwood. When I'm I'm going to mention Prestwood. Prestwood when used well models this incredibly well but there are other systems out there which do address it but i think it comes back to the familiarity thing again these are difficult discussions to have with clients to sit and say to a client as i was taught to say to um you've got a couple in front of you and to say to the couple and, and particularly you know the non-breadwinner in the in the couple if there is a non-breadwinner and say so if you're or the primary caregiver or however you describe it if you're if you're a partner wasn't here tomorrow and that money stopped, how would you cope? Those are big, important, difficult discussions to have with people. And clients can get very emotional. They can get um, quite disturbed. Um, you know, so I think some advisors, some generalization again, have backed off from those discussions. And because lots of these software um, modeling tools are built on feedback from advisors, if they're talking about it less, there's less input going into it. And that's a really broad generalization, I know. I think the very best of them deal with it well, but how many advisors are confident enough to have and professional enough to have those discussions, which are very deep, meaningful, disturbing discussions with clients. No, it's a great point. And, and it's something that uh, Rose and Louis in a previous podcast backed up as actually in terms of one of the opportunities of the new way of working is that suddenly we're getting into families' houses more, aren't we? Um, and therefore you've got all the various partners coming to these meetings and bringing the subject up that you quite rightly just said of, of protection and examining the shortfalls is so much easier to do when you have all the people that are relevant at that meeting. That it took a Zoom meeting to do it is a little bit sad, but that's where we are. Well, that, that's a really interesting point because I, I never saw clients on their own. Apart from very rare occasions, I never saw married couples on their own. Now, there might be a health reason or a particular reason that in that particular review meeting, one or other didn't come. But actually, that was incredibly rare in the way that I ran my practice. Because I think you don't get the same context to your client discussions if only one partner is there. You don't get to explain to both parties that if something did happen, this is what would happen. This would be the process. This is how we deal with it for you. These are the contact numbers. And we used to introduce other members of the team. There was all sorts of stuff we did. So for me, it was really crucial. And actually, often, we would see extended members of the family because they were becoming trustees of trust. And there were all sorts of things that were happening, or they were maybe going to be beneficiaries. So there were, there were sometimes multi-member family meetings very deliberately in my practice, but those are hard to run and you just a certain amount of confidence to be able to do it. Yeah, and also there might be childcare considerations. So sometimes the practicalities of, I guess many, many advisors will see people during work hours where it might be that that person works around the corner and the, the partners at home with, with childcare responsibilities is not always that easy to get in. So actually the Zoom revolution has helped in that respect to Rose's point. Oh, listen, I think definitely. Uh, and and that, it long may that continue, actually, because I, I think we're going to, my personal feeling is we're never going to quite go back to normal um, in terms of in terms of the way we, we talk and interact with our clients. Like, you know, not that I 
do know. I think there'll be a mixture of face-to-face and perhaps more of the review stuff will be done digitally and electronically over Zoom or, or whatever method people are using. Now, you and I are a rarity in, in many ways, but let's stay on the work, uh, the work notion. Um, in that we know wealth managers, we know protection advisors, we know mortgage advisors. I mean, as you know, both our practices, uh, you know, uh, cover all over those areas. But um, our industry generally is a siloed industry, isn't it? You know, you're a wealth manager or you're a protection advisor or you're a mortgage advisor or you're a PMI advisor or you're an employee benefits advisor, et cetera, et cetera. Um, when you talk to you know lawyers and accountants, which I, I, I guess are our, our, our closest things to to um, cousin professions, they don't really have those lines of demarcation in the way that we do. Yes, they have specialisms, but they always seem to be a bit more joined up. Would you say that's a fair uh, challenge to our industry? But probably more importantly, how do we break down these silos? Okay, so there's two questions there. What one is? I think you're right in the legal profession. Perhaps is, is the closest to, to looking like us. I thought it is. It is quite different. Um, I think they do have silos to a big degree. They have, um, you, you know, they have private client sources. They have conveyancing sources. They have, um, you know, litigation, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but what they seem to do very, very well within their practices is signpost internally. It, to use that in use that 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 phrase. Um, so if if you know I've lost count over the number of years when I founded business and invested in other business and all sorts of stuff, you you end up speaking to two or three lawyers from the same firm in the same meeting, and, and we could be saying the same. You you could have your wealth manager, and you could have your pension specialist, and you could have your mortgage or protection specialist, or, or whatever in those meetings. So I I think there is something in that. I think sometimes it's about cost solicitors. They, you know, their costs are always their costs. They're very confident in, in um, charging them. And if you end up with three solicitors in the meeting, you end up paying for three solicitors in that meeting. I think there is something around us and our value proposition that we're a little bit less confident sometimes about what we could charge. Um, but I think we need to get better at it. And if we're not, if we don't have the experience in-house, we need to be, you know, doing that signpost thing that we've talked about, working collaboratively to make sure the client is being looked after. So I think we need to work on it. I think we are seeing signs of of improvement, but I I think it, you know, and you look at the work that, that you guys are doing, and you know, IPTF, and you look at Johnny Tinson and all all the Bruce Louis, all these people that we know and respect and do and, and understand are pushing the message. We need to get that message out more somehow, um, because I think. Collaborative working, i.e. signposting amongst each other, brings benefits for everyone, not least the client. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I, I guess the other the other area that uh, we should mention quickly is business protection. Um, I think in many ways, uh, society has changed its attitude towards protection because of examining its own mortality and morbidity due to COVID. And, and it's very easy to say, well, that's changed individuals' attitudes. We certainly at uh, my company have, have witnessed that on the business protection side. Is this again an opportunity because uh, wealth managers will tend to look after maybe people who run businesses, own businesses, maybe slightly higher up in businesses, just to the nature of, 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 of their wealth, to uh, you know to, to, to relook at their books and look at the people that they have and talk to them about business protection in particular? Absolutely. If they haven't, they should have done. You know, it's, um, I think absolutely that that was, you know, if we talk about commercials for a second, that was a very lucrative part of, of what we did. 
not only was it right to do it, but actually it was it was a it was a, a good part of our income. We did deal with lots of time, you know, company directors, company owners, entrepreneurs, etc. So things like key man and cross-option agreements and all the other stuff that, that we know goes on, we were very, very active in and quite rightly so, because we, we talked about transferring the risk from from a family to a um to an insurer, well, you're only talking about the same to the business and, and yeah. by extension of the business, because many entrepreneurs' businesses are very wrapped up in their family. You know, we know that, 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 that um, it's almost indistinguishable at times. So it's just an extension of looking after the family, looking after the business as well. And, and who, you know, if you think, you know, why wouldn't you want the widow of your business partner or widower of your business partner to receive a commensurate amount of money in the sad event or the catastrophic event of, of the loss of their husband or partner or wife or whatever it was um, from that company. That's just good company governance. And I remember in the earliest days of my practice, when money was really tight, one thing we never cancelled were those protection policies. I think people, if they've got the right moral compass in them, they will have those policies and never let them go. So advisors should be advising them, absolutely. Fantastic advice. Before we let you go, Lee, uh, we, we've, we've spoken today a lot about collaboration, silos, breaking them down, signposting. Um, there might be quite a few of our listeners thinking, that's great, get that. Uh, yes, we should be doing it. I guess the question is, how do we do it? How do we bring our industry more together? What, what, what are the obvious places that a protection advisor listening in or a wealth advisor or mortgage advisor, what should they be doing next? Uh, well, I, I think they need to, they need to reach out in, in whichever shape that is. They need to, they need to engage in debate. You know, it might be that if you know if they're getting referrals from a solicitor, for instance, which which we know happens. I'm just using that as one example. It may well be that that solicitor is also recommending investment clients or or financial planning clients to another advisor who does that kind of work. Ask for that introduction. Um, look at look at what the professional bodies are doing. Look at what IPTF is doing. Um, uh, you, know, you know, look at what's going on in Octo, uh, sorry, slight plug, but uh, look at what's going on in NextGen, look at what's going on in PFS Power, all these places that you could look to connect with people. And here's something that I used to do. I occasionally used to go to law conferences. I wasn't a lawyer. I used to pay to go to law conferences and I would meet lawyers, interestingly. Um, and it might just be that wealth managers, if they're looking to get better at this, should perhaps be going along to a protection conference now. And, all yeah. with, you know, and at the moment, it's easier. You're just sitting in front of the screen. You don't actually have to travel to wherever that conference is. And vice versa. Perhaps protection people should occasionally come on to a wealth management conference just to soak up the atmosphere, say hello to one or two people and begin to form relationships. Now, those are fundamental networking issues. Um, I, I would say absolutely get involved with, you know, with what the IPTF is doing and, and all these other bits and pieces it is very likely that your client may be using another advisor because you can't satisfy that need. Ask your client, you've got the best relationship with them, just say, you know what, I know I look after your, your life insurance and your, your private medical insurance, whatever else it might be. Um, do, who's looking after your pension, for instance? Would you mind making an introduction? Yeah. No, that, that's great advice. And I, I really would encourage any of our listeners that haven't looked at Octo to have a look at it because it's a great organisation. But I, I think the call to arms here is, as an industry, we need to talk to each other more. But as you said, uh, the opportunities are there and there are some great conferences. You know, I'm, I'm lucky enough to attend protection ones, but equally I attend lots of wealth management ones. So go to each other's conferences. There's, there's uh, 
that's fantastic advice. So, uh, um, and, you know, do you know, Roy, here, here's the thing. Maybe these conferences that, that you and I get asked to help form the agendas sometimes. You know, we're, we're on, you know I, I sit on three different conference working parties. This is a failing of mine. I've never suggested to the organisers, do you know what, wouldn't it be great if we had someone along or a session on protection or on mortgages or something in, in what's a relatively, now there may be all sorts of commercial reasons they might not want to do that, but we should be asking that question because the more we can bring people together into the same environment, the better it's got to be. Yeah, and I, I totally concur. And I, and I would say for any uh, any organisers of protection conferences listening to this podcast, do the same. Let's get some of the wealth guys along as well. I mean, this is complete proverbial no-brainer, guys. Yeah. Lee, thank you so much for your time. Uh, your, your, your insight and perceptions, as always, are, are phenomenal. Uh, next time, Catherine is going to be talking to uh, Matt Ran. Um, uh, and they're going to be talking about cancer insurance and specifically bowel cancer. Uh, if you'd like a rem reminder of the next episode, please drop me or Catherine a message. Uh, go onto social media, the usual ways, or visit our website, www.practicalprotection.co.uk. And uh, most importantly, don't forget, if you've listened to this part of your work, you can uh, register for a CPD certificate as well. Um, just leaves me to say, Lee, thank you so much uh, for your time. I know it's very precious, but I think your, your call to arms here is, is, is very welcome. And uh, um, have you got one last message for, for, for our, our listeners? Yeah, it is. Don't ignore protection. Don't don't feel it's beyond you. And if you feel it is, reach out and find someone. Someone like yourself, someone like Catherine, or the many others that are willing to help. It is a fundamental part, and I say that from personal and professional experience, um, to, the, to the well-being of the family. So, so don't be put off by it. Uh, I'd like to say thank you for having me on. It's been a, it's been a pleasure and a privilege. Brilliant. Thanks, Luke.